So God, please speak to our hearts. Teach us what you would say to us and glorify yourself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Philippians is, uh, you said last week, it's a very short letter of Paul's, but it's a very powerful letter of Paul's. And it's written primarily as a thank you note to a church in the city of Philippi. And Paul started this church uh, on his second missionary journey in, chapter, in Acts chapter 16. You can read about the origin of the church. And it's a church that's birthed out of a lot of pretty intense struggling. Um, Paul and Silas got to Philippi basically because every other door had closed, uh, because relationships had closed, because uh, frankly they were trying to serve the Lord and just feeling like they were coming up empty, like we don't have any plans, we don't know where we're going, so we'll just, we wound up in Philippi. We tried every other, every other option and finally we had a, a, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come on over and, and teach us. And so they said, well, I guess we'll go over to Philippi and teach the Macedonians. And um, you know, while they're there, they're, they're beaten up by a mob. They're thrown in prison unjustly. The angel of the Lord causes an earthquake and, and their chains fall off and the doors open and uh, just all these things happen. But it's a church that's birthed out of all of that, but it's really one of the most joyful letters that we have in Scripture. And it's really, as Paul's writing this, Paul isn't just writing this from the place of, I remember that it was hard. He's writing this from a place of, wow, my life is still hard. He's, he's in prison right now in Rome awaiting trial with no set date, no guarantee of what the outcome would be, um, and just kind of, you know, a little bit in limbo in terms of ministry. And, he, and he's writing this letter, and so Philippians winds up being a commentary on how does the Christian respond to circumstances and to hard times and to good times? And what should be just our general response to life if Jesus Christ is who he said he is? If Christianity is real, how should that then impact our lives? And what kind of uh, response should that give us? And so he's writing, you know, last week we kind of just looked at a couple, uh, some of the big thoughts, you know, is that God has begun a good work and he'll be faithful to complete it. That's one of the big things to, to keep in mind whenever you're going through something as a, a trial or a challenge is, hey, God began something. And, and God is more than capable of completing it. We talked about, you know, the idea of we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then Paul's emphasis in chapter 2 of how the church should function. That a big part of responding to the gospel is functioning together as the church. He says, you know, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But, uh, you know, think of the other people around you. Have a, have a mindset of how can I serve the people who I'm with. And so that's where we find ourselves tonight Chapter 3, I always love how Paul opens up chapter 3. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. We're halfway through the book. And Paul says, now in conclusion, as I'm wrapping up, he's at the, half, you know, he's at the 30 minute mark of a sermon. He says, okay, so as we're wrapping up, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And that's really going to set the stage for everything else that we'll read tonight. Okay, because it is finally, it is in a sense like, okay, the net summary of what we're going to be talking about for the next two chapters is this. Rejoice in the Lord. And that, if, if we do not get past that, then nothing else that comes in the next two chapters is going to work or make sense, okay? But there's a couple things we need to notice. Rejoice is, a, is an action. It's a decision we make. It's not, a, uh, it's not an involuntary feeling, right? It's not just, well, this is how I am or this is who I want to be or this is, I just can't help myself. No, it's a choice, Rejoice. It's a command. You need to rejoice, and you need to rejoice what? In the Lord. And it's important that we grasp this because your joy will only be as deep as the source of your joy. Uh, you know, imagine, you think about food's just a great example. Um, I love food. I really do. I think it's one of the just most phenomenal things on the face of the earth. I love a good meal. And when I am sitting down to a good meal, that I know is gonna taste good, and I've smelt it, and maybe I've even helped make it, I am super joyful. I am so thankful for that food. It is, it is just a gift from God, right? I mean, it's, it's a miracle that God can make chickens lay eggs, and cows produce beef, and, you know, the ground grows potatoes, and we just have all these wonderful things coming together, and boy, I am thankful, and I am joyful, and I am eating that meal. And in about three hours, all that joy will be gone, because I will be hungry for something else, right? I might have a fond memory, but, but really, that's not gonna sustain me because it's only as deep as a meal. And a meal perishes. A meal, you know, a meal goes. Um, and if, you're, if your hope is in really anything else, a job, health, a relationship, those things perish. 
Those things fade. But if your joy is in the Lord, there is no limit to his depth. There is no end to his love and his grace. And so if you are choosing to find joy and you're choosing to find it in anything other than the Lord, sooner or later you will run out. Sooner or later you will max out your ability to enjoy that situation or that relationship or that person or that job or that season of good health. All those things will pass. But if your joy is in the Lord, then in any circumstance there is still more joy to be found. In any situation, there is still joy to be obtained. And so that's where Paul's going. He says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He's saying, okay, rejoice in the Lord, and now let's cover a couple basics. Beware. Beware of what? Dogs, evil workers, and the mutilation. Specifically, he's referencing people who would come in, kind of like we've talked about in Galatians uh, and a little bit in Ephesians, those who would come in and say, now you need to keep the law if, if you want God to obey you, right? And specifically, he's referencing mutilation as circumcision. If you're, if you're physically cutting your body to try and make God love you more, you're missing the whole point of grace. He says, that's just, that's just mutilation, right? Um, and I know, I mean, we live in the Western world. Circumcision is just kind of a natural part of health protocol in the U.S. So he's not referencing the act itself, but the idea. The idea of, well, you need to do this to, to make God love you. You're mutilating the gospel. And so he calls those people dogs. That's a, that's a, serious, that's a serious statement. Paul takes it very, very seriously when someone tries to add to the grace of God. When someone says, you need to serve Jesus and it doesn't matter what comes after that, Paul is hardcore that that is not cool. And so he says, all right, we're going to rejoice in the Lord. And we have, he says in verse 3, we have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says, listen, you need to understand there is no act of the law that will make you righteous. Circumcision or keeping the law or keeping the Sabbath or going to the synagogue or going to church, none of those things are going to make you righteous. And he says, and I'm speaking from a place of authority. I can verify because, and he says, you know, not to brag, but if anybody could attain righteousness by what they do, it would have been me. He says, basically, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I wasn't a latecomer. I have been, a, you know, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which at the time, the Pharisees, you know, from the Gospels, we sort of give them a bad rap, understandably so. But the Pharisees, culturally, were the most devout, the most biblically accurate, the tightest group of conservative theology you could get. He said, I had so much zeal, I was persecuting the church. I was, I was blameless regarding the law. I kept everything. And I have no confidence in my flesh. I am putting no confidence in my ability to do anything. Joy is found in the Lord. It's not found in our, in our attempts, right? So we're going to rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in what you can do for God because that's another thing that's just going to max out. And don't condition your joy on your performance. Well, you know, I'll be happy if I, if I do this. No, no. You need to find your joy in the Lord. He goes on. In verse 7, and he says, But what things were gained to me, what things is he talking about? All the works of the law. All the things that he had done at one point in his life and that people are going to come into this church eventually and tell them they need to do. What things were gained to me? These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, these things that were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Every good deed that I ever did for God. Every good action, every good intent, every good thought, 
Every act of self-sacrifice on my part that I ever committed to try and earn the favor of God was a waste. It is a loss. All right? In a business world, what, is it, what do we do? We talk about writing off your losses. Right? And basically, it's a, it's a means of which we try and get some sort of value out of it. But we understand that basically, what do we do? We lost something. It's, just, it's gone. Right? That money, that investment, it's gone. It's a loss. And you're not getting it back. And, Paul's, and there's a point for us where we're going to have to decide, okay, what am I counting gain? What am I counting as the thing that I am holding on to? Where am I putting my joy? Where am I putting my confidence? Is it in those things I've done or is it in Christ? And he says, look, I could put it in those things I've done. I could do that better than anybody else in this church, Paul says. But those things are a loss. Those things are a waste. If you're putting your confidence... If you're putting your joy in anything that you have done or that you're going to do or any kind of resolution or, or willpower, that's all a loss. You'll, you'll never reap fruit out of that. But if you put it in Christ, there's great gain. And he says, I've counted these things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There's a point in time at which I can either choose the acts, choose the actions, or know Christ. I can, I can actually know Christ personally or I can have all my good deeds and I can hang on to those. And Paul says, basically, you're going to come to a crossroads. Am I hanging on to what I did or am I going to actually know Christ? Am I going to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And he says, you've got to choose. And if I go with the idea of knowing Christ, then he says, okay, this is the excellence. And knowing Christ is worth counting all these other things as lost that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. I'm not going to have my own righteousness in Christ. I'm going to have that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is through God by faith. I count all these things as loss. And I say, wow, I'm, you know, I'm giving up all my, Paul says, I'm giving up all my good deeds and all the years I spent as a devout Jewish man and, and all these things. Man, that was a lot of righteousness that I just let go of for the sake of knowing Christ. And he comes to know Christ and realizes that was my righteousness. That was my self-righteousness. I don't have that now that I know Christ. I have the righteousness of God. And so he says, I know Christ that I may gain him and have his righteousness. And then verse 10, he repeats it, that I may know him. If you're, if you're trying to work this life of, hey, I'm going to find joy in myself. I'm going to put confidence in my flesh. Man, you slip up and you're toast. Right? It's, it's a long, slippery slope. You, you make one fall, and you're just rolling all the way down the hill. But if you go with, I want to know Christ, then what happens? I get to know Christ. And then what happens? Then I receive his righteousness. And his righteousness enables me to know him more. Paul's starting us on this cycle where if I know Christ, I receive his righteousness. If I receive his righteousness, I can know him more. If I know him more, I can respond to his righteousness more. If I respond to his righteousness more, I can then know him more. What happens if you mess up on that path? You just get back on the circle. Go back to, okay, I know Christ. Great, now I want to respond to his righteousness. Now I want to know Christ more. Now I can respond to his righteousness more. Because it's now no longer about what are you doing. It's about what is Christ doing. God is running, in a sense, this spiral that you can get on at any point and just ride it to knowing him more and more and more. And he goes on in verse 12. He's going to carry this idea. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Paul says, I'm writing this. I'm explaining this but I'm not totally here yet. I'm still a work in progress. God is still doing something in my life. I, have, I am not perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Notice two big things from this passage. Two really big things. He says, brothers and sisters, I haven't attained. I am not perfected yet. I am writing this to you to explain how the grace of God 
should manifest itself in your life, to explain how God is working, to explain how you should have joy in the Lord, how you should know Christ. I'm not totally there yet, but here's what I do. I forget the things that are behind and I press on. If you are walking, walking in self-righteousness, then every time you make a mistake, you've got to do like a double deed to wash out the last one and then get yourself set up for the next one. If you're walking in the knowledge of Christ, and hey, I, I just want to know Christ more, you messed up. You stumbled. You did something wrong. You walked in sin. You know what you do? You say, God, I walked in sin. I repent of that. I want to know you more. Can I know you more? And he says, yeah, sure. Come on in. Right? I, you just, you, you keep moving forward because it's no longer about your righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness. If you mess up in the pursuit of Christ, is he still righteous? Yeah, his righteousness, if his righteousness is what's covering you and you step out from under that, you can get back under it. You can get back in it. Right? Lord, I messed up, so what do I need to do? Get back to where you are. Not by your own actions, but just get back to knowing Christ. Go back to who is the Lord. What does the word of God say? Right? So this is what I do. I forget those things which are behind. Every mistake you've made in the past, if you've repented of it, God has forgiven it. It says he has forgotten them. He has cast them away. They are, in the mind of God, those sins are non-existent. They are no more. So don't you then spend your mental energy going back and reliving them. Press forward. God doesn't see them as existing anymore. Why should you, right? So that's a big thing. That's, and this is really critical in walking with the Lord because we will all make mistakes. We should always be sinning less, but we will never be sinless until we are dead, right? We should always be drawing closer to Christ, but we're not going to be perfected until we step into heaven. So we've got to understand what do we do when we stumble? What do we do when we sin? We keep moving forward because the righteousness of Christ is still sufficient, right? Uh, I think it's First John. See, the First John of Romans, and I'm going completely blank. But it says, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's righteousness brought us into relationship with him while we were his enemies, right? While we hated him by our choices and our actions, his righteousness reached out to us. How much more so now that he has begun the work, now that he is drawing us close, now that he is perfecting us, if we stumble, will he say, come on, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Let's keep rolling. So forget what lies behind and press forward. But notice something else. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Now, okay, you kind of got to do a little bit of brain work here. But what did Christ lay hold of you for? If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, you get the answer. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Christ laid hold of you. He grabbed you. For what? For the joy set before him. He says, I want to hang on to this person. I want to see this person come to know me. I want to, I want to see them forgiven of all their sins. I want to see them restored. I want to have fellowship with them. There's a joy that is going to come from this, and it's a joy that is so great, I am willing to die for that person. Paul says, I want to lay hold of that same joy. I want to lay hold of that. And if you want to lay hold of the joy that Christ has for you, then what do you do? Hebrews says, lay aside the weight and the sin. There are things that, there are sins we can walk in. They're going to slow down our ability to walk in joy. There are weights, which, might, which are things that, hey, this maybe isn't a sin, but it's slowing you down, right? And those are things, you know, sin is sin. A sin is a sin is a sin. If you're walking in sin, you need to lay it aside. Weights are a little bit specific to each one of us because there are some things that we're going to weigh certain ones of us down that won't weigh other ones down. So it's a matter of conviction. You need to be having a relationship with the Lord where the Lord says, hey, Nate, you need to lay that aside. I need to be able to say, 
Dang. Okay. I'll lay it aside. Because I'm pursuing the joy of knowing Christ. Christ pursued the joy of knowing me because he loves me. And because I am loved, because I am now under Christ's righteousness, I want to pursue that same joy. So Paul says, all right, are you noticing a joy theme here? There's a joy theme here. All right, so I am pressing on that I may lay hold of that. I'm pressing on by doing what? Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. And then I love in, in verse 15, he says, therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. So if you're going to be a mature Christian, this is how you should be thinking. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul says, if you disagree with me, that's okay. You'll understand that I'm right sometime. It'll come. Verse 17, he goes on. He says, all right, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So he says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as a pattern. Find an example to follow. And a lot of times pastors will, you know, it, it's, You'll hear it like, well, you know, I'm no Paul, so I'm not going to say that. Well, you know what? No, no. Paul says, hey, follow my example and find people who are following this example and follow after them and, and note them and pay attention to them. I have a responsibility as someone who teaches the word to be able to say, you should be pursuing Christ just like I'm pursuing Christ. And you guys have a responsibility to say, hey, we're reading the word. We're knowing Christ personally. We're taking personal responsibility for our walk with the Lord. And so, bud, your words are saying one thing and your actions are saying another thing. You need to line them up. You need to shape up, straighten out. Lead an example. Set an example. If you're in a position of setting an example, take it seriously. If you're in a position where you can speak into the life of somebody who's setting an example, take it seriously. But he says there's basically two, two options. You're either walking toward Christ or you're walking away from Christ. So unless I'm up here and I'm walking away from Christ, I ought to be able to say, according to Paul, follow my example. Not because I'm perfect, but because I'm saying, hey, you know what? Let's walk toward Christ together. I am walking toward Christ. And so we ought to all be walking toward Christ because he said there are many who walk who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You're going to follow someone. All of us, every single one of us, we are worshiping creatures. Human beings are not the highest form of life. Human beings are beneath other forms of life. We're a little lower than the angels, and we're vastly lower than, than God. But we're going to worship something, right? So you're either going to be on a path where you are worshiping Christ more fully, or where you are starting to worship something else. And so Paul is emphasizing this. He says their end is destruction. If you're walking along with the many who are walking away from Christ, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he means a couple things, but what is your belly? Your stomach is really like the loudest subconscious voice you have, right? Like, I wish I could hear the voice of God the way I can hear the voice of my stomach. My stomach is super clear and super easy to understand, right? It's really, it's almost never ambiguous, right? My stomach tells me things, and I listen, and I obey my stomach, right? It's an appetite. And Paul says there are people whose God is their appetite. And my stomach is actually so good at communicating that it can tell me something, and my brain can say, if you put that in your body, it is not good for you. And my stomach can say, yeah, but I don't care. And I will say, you know what? I don't care because I like to listen to my appetite. And when we do that as, you know, we do that with food for sure. 
And we should be, as Christians, growing in the ability to deny ourselves that reality. But it's a much bigger idea. Now, there are people who, I get an itch, I scratch it. I have a desire to do this, I'm going to do it. And don't you tell me not to, or else you're trampling on me. You're oppressing me. No, I'm not oppressing you. I'm just telling you that what you're doing is going to destroy your life. Right? No, 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 you're oppressing me. I have to fulfill my appetites. I have to be true to myself. I have to be, you know, I have to follow my heart. Your heart's an idiot. Your heart is lying to you. Just like your, your stomach is lying to you. It's telling you to put more food in your mouth when you have no need to put more food in your mouth. Paul says there are people whose God is their belly. They are slaves to their appetite. And that's the opposite of walking with Christ. Paul says, I discipline my body. I forget how he says it. But basically, I bring my body into subjection for the sake of the gospel. I, being a Christian is saying no to a lot of things. Right? At, at, a, at a wedding ceremony, one of the vows usually is, and forsaking all others. When you say yes to one person in a wedding, you are saying no to every other person. That's the idea of monogamy, right? You're, you're saying yes, but you're saying really a huge no. When you say yes to Christ, you're saying no to a lot of other things, no to these appetites, no to these desires, no to these passions and these lusts. Not because you need to demonstrate your own righteousness, but because, like he said earlier in chapter 3, because I want to know Christ, because I've, I have his righteousness, and because I'm under his righteousness, there are certain things that are just not fitting. So their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. These people who are walking away from Christ, who we are going to have the, the opportunity to either follow or not follow, their glory is in their shame. Have you seen that in our world? Our world right now, we are in the month of June, which is nationally right now known as Pride Month, where we're supposed to take pride in certain things according to the culture. And what are the things that our culture is supposed to take pride in? They're shameful things right? And our culture says, no, 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 these are good things. These are being true to myself. No, these are shameful things. These are things that should be embarrassing to talk about. They're things that you should be, you should feel really awkward having a conversation explaining these things, right? But they're glorying in them. They're glorying in things that are shameful. They set their mind on earthly things. That's Paul's last idea of, of what this looks like, to not walk toward Christ it's to set your mind on earthly things. We, are, we have got to choose. What are you going to set your mind on? What are the things that define you? Remember this. Eternity is a really long time. And this life is not. I mean, it's like if you, you know, if you really stretch it out, you'll hit 100 years right now. 100 years. That's not very long. That's just not very long. But we set our mind on these things. We put all our hopes and all our aspirations. Most people spend 60 to 65 years of their life working for something so they can have fun in the last 15 years. I'm not saying don't retire. I'm not saying don't save money. I'm not saying don't, don't be responsible. But I'm saying make sure that you set your goals with an eye towards eternity, with an eye towards Christ. What am I doing? What am I pursuing? Right? I am following. I am worshiping someone. And it's either myself, it's an idea, or it's the Lord, or it's the, or it's the devil. You're worshiping someone by your actions. Your words can say really anything you want them to, but your actions are going to demonstrate who you're worshiping. Who is it? And so we've got to ask ourselves that question. But Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. We're American citizens in this room, Right? We're residents of Madison, Indiana, in this room, by and large. But that's not our home, right? This is the campground. This is, this is a temporary stopover. This is the hotel. We're going home. Where are you a citizen of? I'm a citizen of heaven. And I don't have a president. I have a king, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. If I am, if I am a servant of a king then I have a responsibility to make sure that the things I do are in line with the will of the king. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. We want to be conformed to his glorious body. In Romans 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And in here he says, we're going to be conformed to his glorious body. You are going to look, as time goes on, 
by the decisions you make, by the people you hang out with, by the interactions you have, by the convictions that you choose to walk in or not walk in, you are going to be conformed to something or someone. You will look more like this world or more like Jesus Christ. It's just, it's a, it will happen. One or the other is going to happen, right? Nobody floats. And nobody's, nobody's stationary in a river. You either go up or down. But you're never stationary. Things are always happening. You're being conformed to the image of Christ or to the image of this world. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, stand fast in the Lord. So he starts off chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, stand fast in the Lord. Hold on. And remember, this is his commentary on circumstances, on hard life. You're in the middle of a hard life. What do you need to do? Stand fast. He doesn't say you, gotta, you don't have to make it happen. What do you got to do? Stand. Right? In Revelation, when the Lord comes down to judge the earth for the last time, it says he comes down with all the hosts of heaven. We're all going to be in the army. And I'm sure whatever we're wearing is going to look epic. Right? It'll, be like, it'll just be incredible. And we're, he's going to be on a white horse in the front and we're all going to get to charge and, and yell and scream and we're going to head, head down. And then he destroys his enemies with a word. But we get to be part of the army. But what exactly do we do in that army? Absolutely nothing. Right? What do we contribute? Right? It's going to be like our tactics or our strategies or like the brilliant person is like, you know, God, Napoleon did it this way. No, no, no. God will take care of it. But he says, hey, guess what? You get to be in the army. Cool. So what do you do in the army? You stand there and you let the guy on the horse, you let the, the king on the horse take care of it all. But he's going to let you look pretty cool just because he thinks it's fun, right? Because he enjoys letting you be a part of what he's doing. So you don't have to make it happen. What do you need to do? Stand fast in the Lord. What do you need to do? Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 2, Paul goes on, he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's referencing two women and a man. You can, in Greek, it's more clear. Um, and say, be of the same mind in the Lord. And some people read this and say, wow, there's some sort of big tiff going on in the church and these ladies are, you know, going at it. And maybe, or maybe Paul just says, hey guys, you know what? You're laboring together. Just make sure you have the same mind. Right? There's going to be challenges that are going to try and drive you apart in serving the Lord. Just stay focused. Stay focused on the Lord. Remember your citizenship is in heaven. Rejoice in the Lord and don't let petty things drive you apart. In verse 4, Paul's carrying a theme here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And in case you missed it, I'll tell you again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing is an action. And notice what Paul's doing here. Again, remember, Philippians is the commentary on circumstances and the hard life. And just, you know, the idea that we are going to face difficulties as Christians. And Paul has a very clear understanding here that a Christian is never a slave to their feelings. A Christian can choose to respond to a circumstance. We are not obliged or forced to react to our circumstances, right? We can choose what we're going to do about it. We may not be able to change it, but we can choose what we do about it. So what do you do with a circumstance? Paul says you rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in the circumstance because the circumstance might not have that much to be joyful. But what do you need to do? Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because you can never run out of reasons to be joyful for what God has done. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. God is coming quickly. Do you realize that? We're almost 2,000 years closer to the arrival of Jesus than we were when Paul wrote this. And you could say, wow, that's, that's a long time. Not really. 2,000 years, honestly, uh, I mean, think of it this way. Uh, well, okay, pick, pick, an, pick an actor who lived a really long time, Betty White or Kirk Douglas, somebody who hit right about the 100 mark. There's 20 of them lined up back to back. That's not a lot. 
20 Kirk Douglases lined up, put you at the time of Christ. Okay. So it's going by. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming quickly. So what should you do? Let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, gentleness is a choice, right? Again, because we're responding, we're not reacting. And gentleness doesn't mean be a wuss to all men. It means be gentle, right? Christians can absolutely be fighters, but we're never brawlers. There are things that we stand for. There are lines that we say, no, this line does not get crossed. But we don't go out swinging, right? We don't grab sticks and say, let's go crack some heads and pick up some loot, right? Let's go, let's go make some converts, right? Join or die. No, 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 no. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance, Scripture says. And then he says, be anxious for nothing. This is so incredible in the, in the context of circumstances. And just, you know, Paul is writing this in prison. He's writing this handcuffed to a guard. Not sure when he's going to get a trial date and not sure what the outcome of that trial will be. Because there are people pushing for the death penalty in his trial. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But what? Pray about it. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Pray about what? Everything. How? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So don't worry about your circumstance. Give God thanks for what he's doing. You can say, wow, there's nothing to be thankful for. Well, wait a second. What's your joy in? Is your joy in the Lord? Because if your joy is in the Lord, it really doesn't matter where you're at. Paul and Silas are in, the, in Philippi are in the lowest part of the jail singing worship to the Lord at midnight after having been beaten, after having been chained, and after having been thrown in the septic tank. Okay? Uh, and they're rejoicing. They're, they're giving thanks. Why? Because they have an ability to choose and because their joy is not in their circumstance. Their joy is, hey, the Lord has done things. So if you, have a, if you have a hard challenge, pray about it. Absolutely. But you're not a slave to that challenge. Right? You're not, you're not bound to the challenge. God is doing something. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. God's faithfulness endured before this challenge started, and it will endure after the challenge. The challenge, whatever it is, however big it is, however long it lasts, and I'm not minimizing them, but no matter how big it is, it will pass. It will fade. The faithfulness of God will not. The joy that you can find in God will not. And so we get to choose what we're going to do about it. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. This is the peace of God. It is not the peace of men. Right? On earth, how do we define peace? Peace is the, in, in an earthly context, it's the lack of conflict. It's the absence of conflict. We signed a peace treaty, so we're getting rid of our nuclear weapons. We signed a peace treaty, so they're going to quit shooting us, and we'll quit shooting them. There's no more deaths. There's no more gunfire. Like, basically, we stopped the fight. That's not what the peace of God is. The peace of God surpasses understanding. The peace of God is, I don't understand how on earth I can have peace right now, but I do. Because this is surpassing understanding. This is no longer about, does this make rational sense to me? This is about, is God keeping his promises? Right? This is the peace of God. And incidentally, you'll sometimes hear Christians say, uh, well, I have a peace about this. And, and that's kind of a blanket expression for like, basically, I can do whatever I want in this situation because I don't feel guilty about it. Well, that's really not, that's absolutely not how this verse is meant to be applied. The, the proper way to say, if you want to, if you want to, do something and say, I have peace about this. The biblical way to say that is, I think I'm supposed to do this, and it doesn't make any sense, and I'm actually kind of freaking out about it right now, but I believe that God is faithful, and so I'm going to do it anyways, because God has called me to this. And, they, and, and you know, and I know, this looks like a stupid thing to do, but you know what? The Lord is promising to give me peace in the midst of this. So I am walking in it, not because I have, not because the circumstances are leading to peace, but because God is promising me his peace. So the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. God wants to protect you with his peace. And it doesn't matter what circumstance you are going through, God's peace can protect you in that. It can guard you. Finally, Paul is still trying to wrap up, just like I'm trying to wrap up. But what the heck? He says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, 
Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and, what's he say? The God of peace will be with you. So, he tells us in verse 4 through 7, hey, rejoice in everything, pray through everything, and God's peace will guard your heart. Now he tells us in verse 8 through 9, hey, there are certain things you should focus on because you can respond to a situation and you can choose to focus on things that are going to really mess up your peace, that are really going to challenge your ability to receive the peace that God is offering you. So what do you need to do? Meditate on certain things. And by extension, don't meditate on certain other things. So what should you be focusing on? If, if you are in a challenge, what should you be focusing on? The things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are just, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. If you're in a challenge, you don't need to remind yourself of how bad things are. We're pretty good at remembering that anyways. Right? Go back to what is the truth of who God is? What is the truth of what God's word is saying? What are the times I've seen God be faithful in the past? What are the prophecies God fulfilled that encourage me that he's faithful to his people? Right? What does the word of God say? And that is going to set your heart in a place where it is able to comprehend the peace of God. Because we have, there's an incredible blend here, like Dad says all the time, between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God wants to give you his peace and he's going to guard you and he began a good work and he's going to complete it and he's doing all these things. And Paul says, great, so rejoice in the Lord. Stand fast. Remember that your citizenship is in heaven. Meditate on these things. Rejoice in these things. Pray for these things. Be thankful with these things. There's all kinds of options that we have as Christians to choose what we're going to do with the life, with the day, with the situation that's in front of us. We're never a victim of the situation. Right? Because God is in control. The situation never hits a point where, oh my gosh, God fell. I knew it would happen to somebody eventually, and I guess it's me. It never happens. You know, oh, I knew the word of God would sooner or later slip through the cracks and, and not work. I guess it's my situation. No, no, no. You can choose what you're going to do with the truth of who God is. And you can choose to believe it and respond in it. And just like Paul said, you can know Christ and grow in his holiness and then know him more. Or you can choose, well, my situation, and it's probably going to get worse, and then I'll focus on my situation, and it's probably going to get worse, and then it's just my situation, and it's just probably going to get worse. And you can just shrink down your ability to see truth. Or you can take it back to who is God. Verse 10, as he's wrapping up, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He's finally getting around to kind of the thank you part of his thank you note. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I just want to tell you guys again, thanks for sending me the gift. They had sent him a, a gift of money, the uh, gift of generosity to him while he's in prison. He says, I just want to say thanks. And I'm not saying thanks. He specifies I'm not saying thanks because I need it and I'm trying to get you to like send it again, right? Have you ever given money to an organization and that's what they do, right? Hey, you know, dear Nathan Murphy, uh, thank you so much for your generous gift. We are so blessed. We have so many opportunities to serve. Would you consider uh, becoming a monthly sponsor? Because we have lots of needs and if just a simple click of 30, 50, or 100 or any amount that you so desire would, be, would help us to really spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think, you know, that that's, might be true, but... I was just, you know, like, what happened to just like, gee, thanks. You know, so Paul says, hey, guys, just want to tell you thanks. And I'm not telling you thanks because I need something extra. Because, he says, I'm content with whatever I've got. Because my circumstances don't define me. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, this is one of those verses. It's a great verse. But sometimes we sort of twist it just a little bit to make it say what we want it to say. I saw a t-shirt once that said, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And sometimes we do that with this verse. And sometimes we say, I can do whatever I want through Christ. As long as I do it for Jesus, I can get whatever I want done. I can make however much money I want. I can buy whatever I want. That's not what Paul's saying at all. What he's saying is, I can basically, there is no circumstance 
that I can't go through. I can do all things through Christ. I can be content in anything through Christ who strengthens me. Christ will give me the strength to get through whatever I need to get through. This isn't like a, a claim at verse for I'm going to get what I want. It's a verse for God is going to get you through what he wants to get you through. This is not about our ability. This is about Christ's ability. Verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So these guys had sent him multiple gifts. They'd been supporting him regularly. And he's saying, guys, I'm just thankful for this. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I just want you guys to be blessed. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Do you notice the irony in that statement? Paul says, I have, all, I have everything I need. I'm full, man. I, 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 just, I, just, I don't need anything else. He's saying this in prison, chained to a Roman guard, waiting for a trial that has no trial date, with a prosecution that is trying to kill him. And he's like, man, you're like, hey, Paul, you know, do you have any ministry needs we can help? He's like, no, I think I'm pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm set, you know? Like, God is totally good. He's providing for everything I need. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty chill. But you guys sent me a gift, so thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. It was a huge blessing. Uh, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just thankful, really, that God's going to bless you for your generosity. But I'm chill. I'm full. Because I'm not a slave to my circumstances, right? Paul has got the ability See, what is God, God is doing? Paul does not see it as I'm chained to a guard. Paul sees it as this guard is chained to me. This guy's got a whole shift to get stuck listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Poor sucker, right? This is so exciting. That guy's just, he's stuck. Guy can't even help it. He's going to hear about Jesus Christ for the next hour or two hours or however long the shift is. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul says, you know, I'm full. I'm blessed that you guys have been so generous. I'm, and I'm just, I'm excited for what God is going to do in you as individuals and you as a church. And I want you to know that my God will supply all your need. Paul writes this to a church that was birthed out of incredibly hard times. Uh, that is, you know, coming in every church uh, that Paul planned is going to come under persecution eventually. Uh, Paul's writing this in the midst of persecution, and he says, you know what, my God's going to supply all your need according to his riches. Isn't it great that it's according to God's riches? Just like it's great that it's Christ's righteousness, right? If God's going to supply my needs according to my riches, I'm in major trouble, right? And, and the same is true of all of us. But if he's supplying my needs and your needs according to his riches, do you know this? You may not realize this. God owns everything, right? God has never yet filed bankruptcy. He, he's never even been audited. He's like never, you know, he's never had to send out a last minute plea for financial aid. Like, hey guys, this is Jesus here. Just want to let you know, if you don't give during our giving week, uh, my ministry is going to shut down. He's never had to say that because he happens to own the whole thing, right? And so he can supply all of our needs through his riches, Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So practical admission for the church. Say hi to people at your church, Paul's saying. Say hi to everybody in Christ Jesus. Not like, hi. Like, hey man, how's it going? Unless it's a lady, in which case I wouldn't say, hey man. All the saints greet you. Sorry, the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. I like this. Paul, again, he sees everything as an opportunity. Right? God is doing something. God is working. So he says, hey, just want to let you know, everybody says hi. And Caesar's household says hey. Do you realize what that means? In Paul's day-to-day -day interactions with the guards that he's chained to, they're getting saved, and now they're telling other people in the palace about who Jesus is. Right? Because Paul, in Paul's mind, what? I'm not chained to this guard. This guard is chained to me. Christ isn't in prison. Right? God is working. Paul says, this is great. And so somebody 
you know, or, or some group of people within the palace get wind of the fact that Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian church, and they're like, hey, um, could you tell them I said hey? Paul's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So we know for all time that they wanted Paul to say hey to the Philippians. And he says, verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And he ties it back into the beginning of the book. What does he say at the beginning? Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does he end? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Do you realize if the grace of Christ is with you, any circumstance, any situation, any relationship, any challenge, any obstacle, anything you can go through in this life is not too great. But if the grace of God isn't there, then those things will overwhelm you, they will grind you down, they will steal your joy. But man, if you've got grace, you've got peace. It's in that order. It always is. Next week, we're going to start Colossians. Colossians 1 and 2. I'd encourage you to read it ahead of time. And you know what Paul's going to say in the beginning of Colossians 1 and 2? Grace to you and peace. Why? Because we have grace, we have peace. If we have peace, we have joy. And God is doing something. And just like Paul, we're all going to go through things. And we can choose to say, wow, I, I, just, I, can't, I couldn't help myself. I had to react to the situation. Or we can say, I'm going to respond. I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to earn what he's done, but because of what he's done. So Lord, we thank you for just such a, a joy-filled book from the Apostle Paul to teach us, teach us about your character and your goodness and teach us about our response to that. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to be individuals, help us to be a church, marked by your joy. People who know that we're saved, people who know that we're walking with you, know that you are doing a work wherever we're at, whatever we're going through. God, keep our eyes on you. I pray that, uh, that we'd forget the things behind and that we would press on for the sake of knowing you more, because that is our goal, Lord. We want to be people who have a personal relationship with you. So go before us. Guide us and lead us. Speak to us. Teach us. And glorify yourself in our hearts and in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, that we pray. Amen.